What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We are turning our attention now to Minnesota, where they have created the first ever office to address missing and murdered black women and girls. We're joined by Lakeisha Lee, an advocate in Minnesota for missing and murdered black women and girls, a role she has taken seriously since her own sister went missing and was found murdered just over a decade ago. Good morning, Lakeisha. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. Thank you so much for joining. And we're also joined by Representative Ruth Richardson, the Minnesota state representative who authored the initial bill to create the state's Office of Missing and Murdered Black Women and Girls. Good morning, Representative Richardson. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I've spent some time yesterday and this morning on the show painting a picture of the scope of the problem of missing and murdered and trafficked black women and girls in California and Oakland. Representative Richardson, what is the scope of the problem in Minnesota? Yeah, you know, one of the big challenges that we have is we don't even know the true scope of the the challenge in Minnesota and also nationally as well. We have some data that shows us that black women in Minnesota are three times more likely to die from homicide. We know that black women um, make up less than 8% of the Minnesota population, but account for more than 40% of the reported domestic violence cases. And we recognize that that probably is an undercount because that is reported uh, cases. But when it comes to identifying and understanding the number of black women and girls that are missing in Minnesota and even nationally, we have these wildly large sort of estimates. Uh, Nationally, there's anywhere between 64,000 and 75,000 black women and girls that are missing within the United States. And it's part of the problem. We don't even have good data to recognize the scope of the issue. In Minnesota, what are some of the contributing factors to this issue? You know, when we think about uh, the factors in Minnesota, they're the same factors nationally. Uh, you know, your your last uh, uh, speaker was talking about the challenges related to mental health, uh, substance use disor- uh, disorders, um, thinking about exploitation, both labor exploitation, sexual exploitation, um, thinking about things such as gang violence, um, and, you know, Part of this that we don't spend enough time talking about is how family separation and the disproportionate ways that Black families are represented in the child protection um, uh, field also contribute uh, to this crisis. And there is uh, often these challenges that come when children are pulled out of their home placed in foster care, and they run away because those runaways um, aren't getting amber alerts. They're not often even, there's not often even a recognition within communities how many uh, Black women and girls are missing on any on any given day. And so recognizing that domestic violence, intimate partner violence, all of these um, uh, issues coalesce, including in a space where there can often be distrust of law enforcement or a feeling of abandonment when families are um, really being forced to undertake investigations themselves and not getting the attention from the media as well. So it's a lot of complicated factors that contribute to the crisis. 
Lakeisha, I want to bring you into the conversation. And I spend a lot of time with family members on these airwaves who've lost their loved ones. And I always want to start with their humanity first. Can you tell us about your sister, Brittany? Yes. My sister, Brittany, is such a, she's such a caretaking soul. She worked at a local recreation center where she would teach and make parties and do homework help with kids after school from kindergarten to third grade. She would make sure the youth were always having fun or looked after, make sure that they were eating and were supporting the parents and community local to us that we lived in as well. She cared for her community. She cared for her family. She was a very sensitive soul that was so much for caretaking and love of community. She stayed close to home all the time. She was just a great, loving person. And what happened to her? My sister went missing in February of 2013. During that time, we knew within about five to six hours that day that she went missing that something was wrong. We reached out to police and she did not come home that evening. I, me and my mother started to look for her and reach out to friends and family, and we were not able to find her. We did reach out to police. They let us know that it was probably just her running away with her boyfriend. They asked us about her demographics and because they, oh, she's 18. She probably just ran away from her, with her boyfriend. And because the Twin Cities here in Minnesota is close to Chicago, which is a major city, they suggested she probably just went to Chicago for the weekend with her boyfriend. And that was not the case. We were the experts on our family. We knew something was wrong. My sister was found in her car. She was murdered by a predator here in the Twin Cities in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Her body was found in her car. During that time and during the investigation, at first the police were not moving on anything right away once they started seeing flyers. And then also with help of the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, posting flyers and this becoming something that community was becoming aware of. Police started to work with me and my family once her body was found and were able to work together to bring the predator to justice. It was a difficult time because at first they did not hear us and it took two weeks for us to receive a letter in the mail that said her car was impounded and that was the clue that helped get the police to her body to find her. We had to do our own investigation until that point. So they did bring the person to justice that did do this to her, but we always wonder what if they could have put more resources to look for her right away the day that we contacted them 
within 24 hours of her going missing. Lakeisha, I'm so sorry for this tragedy for you and your family, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Representative Richardson, you authored the bill to create the state's first office of missing and murdered black women and girls. What exactly will the office do, and how will it hopefully reduce, eliminate, end um, tragedies from happening like what happened to Brittany and Lakeisha's family? Yeah, you know, the, the office is something that uh, we've been working on here in Minnesota for a number of years. And I, I just want to lift up the fact that it was a fight to get this office, uh, something that shouldn't be partisan, something that should not be controversial, uh, took several sessions in order to get to this point to establish the Office of Missing and Murdered Black Women and Girls. And the office uh, will be responsible for several things. One, we want to make sure that there is a resource for families who are still searching for answers as it relates to cold cases. We know that missing person cases involving black women and girls stay open four times longer than cases involving their white peers. And there's no justification for those cases staying open uh, that much longer. We recognize that, um, you know, immediate law enforcement resources within the first 48 hours is often going to be determinative as to whether you're bringing someone home safely or it's turning into a recovery mission. So ensuring that there is um, support for those cold cases for individuals that are missing is going to be a key part of the office, but also thinking about this for those who are victims of homicide. Um, in the last two years, the cold case rate for homicides of black women increased 89% in our country. That's more than any other demographic. So investing in um, solving these cases where families deserve answers is going to be a key part. Um, there's also a requirement of a statewide missing person alert system. We hear so often that black women and girls are not getting the same consideration when it comes to, or black girls aren't getting the same consideration when it comes to Amber Alerts. And so by requiring that there be state wide alerts when individuals go missing, it's going to be um, an important step forward. Um, oftentimes when we, we have this sort of this classification of runaway, the uh, idea is, well, if the individual has run away or as Lakeisha talked about, if there's this idea that someone has run away with their boyfriend and we've heard uh, families talk about getting that uh, uh, sort of excuse for kids as little as 10, like, oh, they're probably with their boyfriend. So ensuring that um, we are doing the work of actually pushing out the stories of who is missing and ensuring that there's pressure for the media to cover those, uh, uh, those stories more equally. Prevention is also a key part of this office. If you are unhoused, if you are living in poverty, there are these uh, trajectories that can make you more susceptible to being trafficked. And so ensuring that we're investing in our communities, ensuring that we're investing in our young ones as well. There are grant dollars uh, for community-based organizations to help be part of those uh, solutions as well. And it's also about making sure that we're accurately tracking what's going on as it relates to missing person cases and homicide cases 
cases so that there can be uh, better data out there so that we can track whether this office is um, making a, a real difference. Lakeisha, how has the tragedy of what happened to your sister changed the course of your life? And what are your hopes as a survivor for this new office? This has truly changed my life. There's that before and after moment um, when Brittany went missing and us finding that she was murdered. My life before that and my life now after. Um, it has changed the way I celebrate anything with our family. It's changed the way that I teach my kids about safety and security as a mother, it changes the way that I work in community. I was working at a, in a credit union during that time and took a leap of faith and started to become a case manager because I knew that my skills were best needed in community based off of my experience. Turning my pain into passion has what has, is what has changed my life through this. And I'm so grateful and so appreciative to Representative Richardson and all of the hard work that she has done over the years. We have really been working hard on this office, and this is just the first step. What my hope for the office is exactly what Representative Richardson referred to, being able to provide data because there's so, so much that we need to be able to speak to, put numbers to, so research can be done and presented in the most way for prevention, for us to be able to put resources to this. So I, I really am hoping that the office will be able to support those in community, and this can be a blueprint for those around the United States who are experiencing this as well as a way to let legislature and those in your states know that black women and girls matter. We have, we can stop this. We can put resources to this to be able to put black families first. That is my hope for this office. All right, I've got to leave it there. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. We've been speaking to Lakeisha Lee, an advocate in Minnesota for missing and murdered black women and girls, a role she has taken seriously since her own sister went missing and was found murdered just over a decade ago, as well as Representative Ruth Richardson, the Minnesota state representative who authored the initial bill to create the state's Office of Missing and Murdered Black Women and Girls. The office is the first of its kind in the country. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today 
at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.